Welcome to Behind the Mirror. We're really excited to be diving into a topic today that we've let ferment and rest um, as we've been contemplating it independently for a while now. Yeah, this is a this is a big one. I mean, it's one that needed to kind of, you know, just simmer for a little bit. Um because I think that's what, you know, we're going to be talking about. So integration, integration, it's a bit like a big word, right? It's been going around a lot. Uh, I think because of Scorpio season, um, it's been coming up a lot about shadow work and, you know, working with these things that come up from our unconscious and we have to, you know, be with. Yeah. And I feel that in integration, what really fascinates me about that word is that I find myself intrigued about words that we use like nonchalantly that are so common, Mm -hmm. but uh, loaded with meaning. And when I was like thinking about integration, I was trying to think about like, "Hmm, when did I first hear integration? Because I've heard it so many times. And I've heard I've heard it, it um, said so commonly that I actually I couldn't locate an origin. Yeah, I think for me it was Carl Jung. You know, like I think he's the one who maybe coined it. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But you know, this idea of you know this shadow integration—that's probably the first time I ever heard of it. But I know it's been used in many many ways. Yeah. I was looking into it um, from a psychology point of view, and Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of new age spirituality pulls from psychoanalysis um, and psychology. So I was interested in seeing, oh, like what does integration normally mean in psychology and how that reflects what new age spirituality is saying that it is too. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I, the whole concept of it, I guess, is this like coming from this place of, you know, finding, rediscovering parts of the self that have been sh- tucked away, oppressed, repressed, um, projected, you know, in some way r- fragmented from your wholeness. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of integration is retrieving that part of you and integrating it you know mm-hmm. um so yeah I think it's an important thing to talk about with all words that I mean I think that's like a big reason we started this podcast to, was to like dive into these things that these concepts that have kind of solidified and really kind of you know dissect them a little bit yeah I totally agree with you and when I was thinking about integration too in terms of what you were alluding to as well, retrieving our wholeness. I was also thinking about meaning making and how do we make meaning out of integration. I find that in my uh, professional practice, it comes up a lot for my clients and people wonder, okay, so how do I integrate this session? How do I completely immerse myself in it how do I move out of this space still with this sense of deep connection and I think that 
that's interesting for me too because it can masquerade as a desire to know in a space of groundlessness and mystery um, and that's really fascinating for me yeah I I think that oftentimes I mean I've fallen into this too of like we kind of want this like we want to have an experience and then be changed you know this like illumination and that can happen a lot of times it does happen but I do think there is this like uh, post experience um, rooting into your daily experience and I kind of like in my practice and you know when I work with clients too I really kind of have to like reiterate that that this is like you know something to take into your daily life and I try to give you know practices to do that with like yoga nidra or like you know like we can get into some of these but yeah, it's really about carrying these experiences and making meaning, as you're saying, in your daily experience. So like, you know, for example, I read tarot cards. So having these, you know, meaning making symbols like reflect back to you what your experience is, but then how do you take those symbols and the, that experience into your daily life and like use use it in a way that's going to make change or make more whole or whatever, retrieving these parts of yourself that you're searching for that they're already there, you know? Yeah, I hear you. Um, I was really grateful to sit with integration um, and to sit with this concept of making whole. And in doing that, I found myself asking, how can I unmake that desire to construct wholeness, to construct belonging or connection? And how can I let it reveal itself to me as something that is already there, that is just asking to be recognized? That's really how I see um, integration. So I had this kind of channeling experience um, in this contemplative space with integration. And what came through to me is integration is resting in unknowing. And that is letting what is already in existence make itself spontaneously aware. And that feels really good for me. Like when I, when I just sit with that and I can kind of let myself not do anything, mm -hmm. but really be there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And understanding that, you, you know, I think that this is such a common thing in the spiritual journey is like we're seeking, we're constantly looking to progress. And it's like this, mm. you know, these like concepts and structures in society have kind of leaked into spiritual world, you know, where we, there's this like idea of like seeking wholeness or like, you know, that even the term mm. like soul searching, you know, this like, it's already here. And that's like this like, undoing of that concept is really the only work quote unquote that you have to do is just 
undo those structures that are holding you away from yourself? That resonates with me. Um, Yeah, so like in exploring integration in that way, I was thinking about, I've been contemplating lately what are the qualities that I bring into a space. Um, I found that in my own life, there was a time that I would fixate on a practice or an activity and that would be like critical for me. So if I wasn't meditating 15 minutes a day, like I was doing Mm -hmm. something wrong because I didn't do what I set out to do. And now I find that I, as I've Mm -hmm. deepened my understanding of what being in communion with the divine, with myself, with the more than human world looks like to me, I wonder about the qualities that I bring into that space, no matter what I'm doing or where I am. So I feel like when people ask me, how can I best integrate this session? I'm less likely to say, do this thing unless it's like drink water (laughs) and eat vegetables (laughs) and and more like how how are you in everyday life Mm -hmm. how can you become more attentive to the space that you exist in um mary oliver has this really beautiful piece that says in attention in attention begins devotion Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like if we can allow ourselves to become attentive to these energies that are always here, they are constructing the space, in fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's such a huge thing that I really find myself repeating a lot, too, is it's, it's not what you do, it's how you are. <laughs> it's what you're, how you're feeling, really, because... If you're hating meditating, you know, because I've gotten into those patterns, too, of like forcing myself and really pushing myself. Um, And that's just in anything, diet, whatever, exercise, where I'm like in my head of like, I have to do this. But if I'm not enjoying it, if I'm like pushing myself, what is it really doing for me? And I, you know, again, that that's that integration thing. It's like really kind of looking at who told me I had to be meditating 20 minutes every day, you know, um, where did I get this idea? Maybe that was good for me at one point and now it's not, but it's really about checking in with how you're feeling Mm -hmm. on a consistent basis. Like you said, attention this bringing this like compassionate awareness to your daily life is really what we're aiming for anyway. You know, it's like not, it's it's so cliche, but it's like not the destination, it's the journey. It's like enjoying, learning to enjoy and embrace every moment and understanding the quality of the attention that you're bringing to it. And, you know, then, you know, you're able to be aware of how you're feeling. Absolutely. And I feel that when we think about attention, we can think about it from a mind-centered place. 
I mm-hmm. sense that this is uh, a thread of a larger consciousness that places a lot of power on the mind and our ability to direct our attention to exactly where it needs to be, has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that we can uh, do a great disservice to ourselves when we think of our attention in that manner. Um, I feel like when I'm speaking about attention, I'm going beyond just like, where's my mind at? And I'm wondering about what is happening around me right now, like in this present moment, like how attentive can I become to my experience at this time? Right. How can I be here? It's really, um, there's a quote from Simone Weil. um, I have it here. Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. And I really believe that like when I think of generosity, that's a feeling. That's something that you can feel. Um, And being generous to yourself in your everyday moment, then you can like show up for people around you better because you're really feeling what's going on instead of you know keeping to a schedule I know that we have to but in when we're talking about this kind of stuff it's like it's more about reflecting instead of resolving being open instead of having a goal in mind of where you want to direct your attention being more open and curious definitely and for me that experience is slowing down. (laughs) You know, if I had to Mm -hmm. choose one word that has facilitated capacity for me in my perception and experience of integration, it would be slowness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Um, because how can you pay attention if you're just pushing through again, that pushing thing, I've learned that I, I mean, especially like with working with my human design, like learning that I'm like a sacral being and I'm like, I have to respond to my environment. So I've learned how can I be listening to my own intuition if, if I'm just like pushing through and learning to be pulled instead of pushing you know Mm, yeah that's really interesting I'm always like fascinated (laughs) um by sacral beings experience as somebody who does who is a non-sacral being but I I I do relate to that magnetism Mm -hmm. um that can find us at any moment at any time Uh, if we would be willing to see it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really interesting because if we have a practice, and it's not to um, kind of shove practices away and say that they don't matter, they definitely do. I think, though, there is another part of the practice that is um, 
subtle and yet deeply meaningful. So an example would be if I had to sit down with the intention of meditating, you might immediately think that the practice is meditating, but the practice is also how do I sit down? Mm -hmm. How do I hold myself? What is the shape of my body as I'm there? How does my breath travel through me? And this is also a part of being generous with my attention, receptive and open to the connection that surrounds me. Right. Yeah. And I feel like meditation and I mean, yoga is like this too. It's this balance of like directing, you know, setting the intention to do, to to have these practices, have these rituals. Um, But, you know, once you're in it, it's about receiving mostly, you know, so you have to like, stretching is like such a great metaphor for it I think if it's like you know that it's good for you you set aside time to do it um but once you're in the practice it's really about receiving your body uh, especially like in the physical Mm -hmm. practice of yoga when you're doing a stretch physically if you push too hard you're going to hurt yourself so you have to be listening to your body as you're doing it so yeah, I think that it's it's a delicate balance, but I think that the whole integration thing, um, it only, in my experience, it really only comes when I'm open to it because when I'm not open to it, it's like that. That's when these like defense mechanisms come in, where you're you're put pushing through a situation, so something comes up. Um, say for example, with working with your shadow. Uh, something comes up that puts you into this like triggered place and your body responds and then you react or you project or whatever. But in these moments of allowing the experience, that's, that's what I've come to realize is like, yeah, slowing down, not pushing through and having, you know, some agenda of like, you know, and I've, I've had people, ask me like okay how do I integrate my shadow like in this urgent way and I'm like I can't can't tell you how to do that I wish I knew um but it's for my in my experience it's it's a daily practice you know you have to become aware that you have these you know quote-unquote shadow tendencies um and then just like work with them and integrate it as part of yourself rather than you know, projecting it onto anything else. Yeah. So interesting, the piece around the shadow and that sense of urgency, right? And it Mm -hmm. it brings me back to how I feel that the antidote to that urgency is slowness. Um, I, I wrote an article, as I feel like my primary medium of expression really is writing on integration and I'll link it down below where I go into like the qualities of what resting and unknowing looks like for me and I would really I mean I name openness curiosity um 
and innocence but I would be really interested in like asking you what do you think have been the qualities for you that maybe you wish you were receptive to before especially as like we both like you're 6'3 I'm a 6'2 I'm going out of my third line experience so I'm like really interested in that that sense of wisdom that the three can gather from their experiments right that's I mean for me I wish I would have um, leaned more into the you know the idea that it's an ex- it's an experience mm. earlier because um, you know for a long time I felt and I I think I had this like um, you know this like perfectionism stuff to me of like okay there's a there's a place that I need to be you know like this like idea of like and I think that's where this urgency comes from people of like you know there's this awareness that you're not where you want to be, whatever, spiritually, physically, mentally, whatever. Um, And that there's this place to get to. (laughs) And I've just realized that that's totally nonsense. Like I'm not, and I I think especially when I I learned my design and um, it resonated with me so, so much to learn that my entire life is all around experimenting and, you know, there is no right or wrong. And, you know, that's really like taking that perfectionism away, like completely. I'm just like, okay, I, I, this is a human experience that I'm having and like, there's no right or wrong way there. And again, like even dealing with the shadows, like the shadow is not a bad thing it's just a part Mm. of the experience it's like so I think befriending my experiences whether they're quote-unquote good or bad (laughs) has just been like tremendous for me of just like and again slowing down and really being in it no matter what even I mean some of my biggest growth moments have come from quote-unquote bad experiences but I've learned a lot so I think that again curiosity what you were saying being curious and meeting the experience with curiosity and um you know learning with the intention to learn and grow not to get anywhere but just to have the experience you know yeah, and I, I loved what you had said about being open and the innocence thing that is so important. And so when I think about curiosity, of course, I think about being open and this having this, again, this idea of reflecting upon it rather than seeking to resolve a quote-unquote problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was coming, um, when I was thinking about innocence, I was really thinking about, there were so many thoughts <laughs> that brought me to this space, but I have been contemplating the archetypes of the warden and the prisoner for a couple of months now, and I've been contemplating how we become a warden. 
ourselves Mm -hmm. and we don't need the warden there anymore um, as we take upon their role. So when I was thinking about innocence, I was reflecting on my religious background, um, going to Catholic school. I also went to an Islamic school um, when I was a child. And I remember feeling really torn that you had to subscribe to this kind of belief in order to be worthy of a joyous um, and peaceful afterlife. Mm. I remember even speaking to my teacher and saying that I think that it, we all go to the same place, <laughs> um, no matter what you believe in. Mm-hmm. And she assured me that I was completely incorrect <laughs> and that I, <laughs> that is not <laughs> that is not possible. Um, and that if you did not believe, um, for example, in Allah, you would be going to hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be nothing more for you (laughs) but the fiery abyss and while I was frightened of what she said I couldn't shake the belief that we were innately innocence Mm -hmm. so when I was writing about innocence I was thinking about how a lot of our effort in becoming integrated revolves around a sense of unworthiness Mm -hmm. and a desire to prove ourselves as virtuous, to prove ourselves as um, worthy of belonging, of offering something. Mm -hmm. And I was noticing how there's essentially a deficiency, um, a feedback loop of deficiency and compensation, and deficiency and compensation. And then our identities, succumb to that experience I have a compensatory identity and I have a deficient Mm -hmm. identity Mm -hmm. and this is how I move through the experience and they do point to like deeper wounds within us but I was thinking to retrieve innocence as innate is to release the internalization that you had to prove anything in the first place Mm -hmm. and how that process can feel so hard. Um, And I think for me, when I hear work, like in spiritual spaces, what I, the only work that makes sense to me is how much we have to unlearn. Mm -hmm. That's exactly Um, it. And that process of unlearning and being safe to really question um, and to question even those who provide space for us to remember, to question even them, Mm -hmm. right? To feel free in that process of questioning. I really invite that when I work with clients one-on-one and I see that it's not easy for people that even though in the beginning I welcomed their questions, I generously said that this is a space where you can say no 
um, and you can decide to wind the path as you may, there's a, a fear, a cautiousness when somebody asks and they say, is it okay for me to ask this? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's such a big part of remembering our wholeness too, to not fear our curiosity and to not negate our innocence. Right, because I think that so young we were taught to look to authority, you know, quote unquote, whoever's in authority to give us the answers. And it, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it's it's pushed down, oppressed. Your innate curiosity is just like I, from the time I was very much the same when I was younger, just always asking questions like and everyone was annoyed by me because it was just like you know this like challenging energy that I've had in me from birth it seems like and it's just I was always met with like this um not always harsh it was sometimes really subtle but the sit down and shut up energy of like this is how it is this is this is how it's always been this is how it's always going to be why would you even question that but yeah I think that we it's really pushed down this curiosity so it it is about retrieving that and it is difficult because I think there's this fear of challenging authority because we were punished too like we the what you were saying about the prisoner and the warden um it's you then start to punish yourself later in life you've you you know take that on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I think for me you know I resonate so strongly with everything that you've said and that fear of like questioning authority and I would hope that we could become more flexible in our spaces to allow questioning like that I think what worries me is when I see um like discourse that perpetuates dogma and rigidity even in a space that's supposed to be flexible and fluid like that is when I'm like ooh, you know like when I hear somebody when I read somewhere online that somebody's saying you can only be in your Akashic records if you and I'm like <laughs> whoa <laughs> like, this is already <laughs> This is worrying for me. Um, Yeah, but I do think that there's a large... And it's interesting because fear is such a powerful... um, There's a powerful intimacy to fear. And at the same time, from a trauma perspective... There are fears that we don't even know that we're experiencing. Uh, Trauma is an inability Mm -hmm. to be in the moment, to be here now. Um, And when we speak about fear, I think about what Clarissa Pinkler Estes says when she speaks of injured instincts. That has been my experience with fear. Um, And I feel that that is really also deepened from... uh, Um, coming into my design as a manifester and these injured instincts to people please uh, to do anything other than be myself Mm -hmm. to hide Um, 
and how the things that are supposed to your instincts, the things that are supposed to drive you towards life, towards fertility, towards growth, and how they become the things that foster death, not only within your home, but your body. That there's like there's a decay that's happening there. There's an atrophy that's happening there. And when a muscle atrophies in the body, how do you slowly begin to let it move again? It takes time. Mm-hmm. It you you go back to it again and again, and only in that process can it become uh, become decalcified. So it's really interesting. It is, and that's what you're what you're saying about the undoing as the work. Where that's really all it is, because it's so natural. But yeah, like you said, it's this deep deconditioning process that does take time and takes attention. And that's what we're coming back to. I think I mentioned yoga nidra in the in the beginning here, and that's been a huge thing for me, a practice that I've really cultivated because it what it does for me is kind of get me in between that like the situation the thing that makes me feel in talking about trauma is like in my body it's like storing this memory of something so the the thing happens and then your response so it's getting into that in between in real time. So like practicing yoga nidra has like been a good practice for me, but integrating that practice into my daily life of like noticing the trigger, the situation, and then getting in between it with attention, because if we're not attentive, we're running a program, right? So it's like you're noticing that your body has this reaction and kind of getting in between it and allowing it, first of all, don't push it away, but just kind of witnessing it in real time. That's been a huge thing for me. Yeah. I feel like trauma is an incredibly complex experience um, mm-hmm. because it isn't an, an experience in of itself. That's how I feel of trauma. It it feels like a re-experiencing that mm-hmm. happens an echo mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah i i relate to what um you shared around finding that in between i also find that to afford myself release is so powerful going back to like mm-hmm. the prisoner and the warden um we become such great wardens and I think about how I'm still in the process of unlearning all of these ways that I punish myself I think perfection in my opinion as it expresses for me has been around punishment Um, and in unlearning that punishment it means allowing myself to release and to receive, to do not d- deny myself of my experience, to not uh, deny myself of my tears. I've recently only started doing yoga nidra, and it's been really beautiful for me. And at the same time, 
I, I remember sharing uh, this with you privately. Uh, so I, I experience anxiety and I can sometimes, for our listeners, I, I feel have heightened moments of anxiety without cause, without rational cause. Mm-hmm. And I have experienced that in yoga nidra where I feel this deep sense of peace and being held and then I feel fear Mm -hmm. and that for me has that's been the most healing experience for me to stay there with that not to push myself but to be with my fear and to let it be also I would say without making meaning of it Mm -hmm. without saying this is what the fear is because in like coming back to the present if I'm alone in my room doing yoga nidra and there's no threatening stimuli around me I I can't I refuse to make my mind a battleground too right right yeah, and that's so important. I think oftentimes, I mean, this happened with me too when I started doing yoga nidra was I was realizing that, um, and this shows up too in my everyday life of like, sometimes when I am the most comfortable, that's when these things can come up. And I feel like it's just them asking for attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and this is make, making meaning of it, but I do think in hindsight I've reflected on it and I do think that these like shadow traits, whatever anxiety, if you're feeling grief or anger out of nowhere, it's just, you know, a stored thing that you maybe had to oppress or suppress because of the warden in your outer life or your inner life, um, you know, forced you to not experience it. So then when you're in this like open receptive place, it's like, a place where it can release, like you were saying, it can come up. And yeah, I think that's a key thing and just like allowing it, just allowing it to. And I've, I know we've talked about this idea of, um, you know, hungry ghosts um, in Tibetan Buddhism and this idea of like, I've, I've seen people talk about this and um, I, I've seen it to both ways, but sometimes people can say like, you know, starve these ghosts. Like Mm -hmm. I've seen people use that rhetoric of like, but I, I, for me, Mm. it's the whole practice in Tibetan Buddhism is to feed, to feed your demons. You know, it's just like this, they, what do they want? It's all, and it's not just yours too. And that's, that's what I've learned in Yoga Nidra. It's like, this is not just my trauma. This is generational. Mm. This is collective that I don't need Mm. to make a story around in my personal life, but it is definitely something I'm feeling. And so when it comes up, it's like, I've, and I tell this to my clients too, of just like, what, ask it what it wants. What, what do you need from me? You know, and this idea of feeding, feeding your demons. I I love that idea. I I really resonate with the two. I feel that it's been one of the most fertile um, pathways 
to self mm-hmm. in my experience. And there is a book for listeners that's um, written by the Tibetan um, Buddhist Lama that wrote Feeding Your Demons. And it is absolutely not for the lighthearted. <laughs> but I find that this process of being with means being with not just joy but pain and fear and anger and I would say also um, in the process of I think of our experience as like third line beings and the not self theme of being ashamed so in speaking to shame I would say to declassify what you have made meaning out of with regards to shame I think there's so much shame around anger around fear um, that we're made to feel ashamed for experiencing um, that they're seen as these dense emotions that rob us of our experience they're always something even when we're with them they're always something to be with just so we can get away from them Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I think the process, um, this really ancient practice of feeding your demons, it it's not a one-off event, um, and it is befriending them. I think it's helpful to think of our experiences beyond the confinement of individualism, and as you were saying these experiences are transgenerational they're in relation to our environment Mm -hmm. and if you have if you sense that you have hungry ghosts because they they do feed through you and I think that is where people may pivot towards oh starve this energy Mm -hmm. because it's um it's parasitic it's taking from your life force but I think that we miss an opportunity there to give to something that has already inhabited us um, and possibly has inhabited our family line for centuries. Mm -hmm. So to feed the hungry ghosts is to feed your ancestors, to feed the demons uh, that starve you of your life so that they too can have life they too can experience that that is what they really desire and that's why they feed Mm -hmm. through you Mm -hmm. yeah it's so important to acknowledge that that you know and I when I first started you know getting into like I think we've talked about this on this podcast a few times of just my aversion to like spiritual community because there was this such emphasis on like positive like positivity mm-hmm. and I to me I'm like that is not life <laughs> I, I mean in my experience it's not um so it's this but I think we're getting better at that you know it's like acknowledging life is everything Mm -hmm. you can't and again like the shadow the more that you ignore it the stronger it is Mm -hmm. so again it's this like integration of these demons uh 
this is it's part of you acknowledging that this is part of the human experience and if you shove it away it will only grow stronger and it is a daily thing you know you have to you can't just like integrate your shadow and then be done it's a it's a constant thing and and I think that um you know each shadow that you address opens up deeper darker things <laughs> like it's just like it gets more yeah um but also I think back to what we were saying about like oppression and the with the warden energy of like why is it why is why are these things pushed mm-hmm. into the shadow in the first place because they can have power and it's threatening to the current system to you know integrate these powerful allies <laughs> right mm-hmm. yes yeah i love that you say allies too because in the practice um of feeding your demons um at the end of the ritual, that demon becomes an ally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my experience, that is absolutely true. It's just, I, like I was saying earlier, some of my most powerful um, moments of my life, feeling my most powerful, were from these really, quote-unquote, bad experiences, but they brought me face to face with demons and I had to face them and it really Mm -hmm. I feel much stronger now you know yeah and I I think for me too you know I I wish that people could know that it's okay to be flexible in their language Mm -hmm. in their experience in how they make meaning of truth. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just because of how we have understood knowledge. Um, I I sense that that is why. I sense that the production of knowledge, especially in the West, is what creates this... um, I want to say this perpetuation of an absolute reality, a measurable reality. Um, So we may feel a pressure if like many people are saying, this does this. Um, I had this and it made me like this person. And we then measure that and say that must be true. I I feel that truth has been really distorted um, and that there's an agenda to truth-making, especially, I would say, in spirituality, as what I've seen mostly, and I say new age spirituality because that's what I'm, like, witnessing. Um, And I, I wouldn't say completely a part of because of my ancestral line, but... I think that that's kind of where truth making um, hijacks spirituality as a method of progress. So I'm going to take this, yeah, like I'm going to do this practice, I'm going to do this thing, and it's actually so that I can progress within a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. that is how so like spirit becomes something to be owned 
Right. And like that's kind of like my big issue because I'm like and that's manifestation culture. Mm-hmm. And then it's all this is spirituality. You're progressing. And for me, that's a symptom of the warden within you. Because even in a space where you could be free to everything and anything and possibility of yourself and the world to like radical imagination here Mm -hmm. in this space this is going to be the method that's going to make you a more formidable worker in our system and like that's like that hurts me (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I know especially in the space because this is I mean this is where you're seeking liberation I mean this is like you know the opposite of and I see I see it so much like you said in manifestation culture of just this okay working towards a goal this like whole idea of ascension and you know getting somewhere it's like well no like the whole idea is to be and be in it and I mean, this is the thing when I, when people talk about manifestation, I'm like, that is just, it's a manifestation of your spiritual self. It's, it's, it's like a byproduct of, you know, feeling good, whatever. If you have good, great things in your life, it's like a, it's a byproduct of the real feeling of being, feeling whole, you know, it's like, this isn't the, the goal, but this is, that's, it's been hijacked with this new age stuff I know I I do think that that's where my aversion to it comes in and that comes back to the slowness I feel like hustle progress culture has really like seeped into Mm -hmm. um new age spirituality yeah I, I I feel like I also I just think it's so important for people to know that they're innately whole and worthy beings, regardless of how much they make or of their quality of life. Like we don't exist, you know, in a bubble. We're part of a larger system. Um, And this is moving beyond like individualism and it's constructed so incredibly purposefully. Um, And I think that we do a disservice to ourselves when we come into a space where we can just allow ourselves to really welcome who we are Mm -hmm. to meet ourselves as deeply as we can if we have that agenda you know and it's not to say like don't wish for like more or better in your life absolutely everybody has that right but what I am saying it, it is that it is our birthright to be in a state of connection everybody's birthright that's just who we are as people here, you know, having a human experience. Um, and I feel that our sense of disconnection is remedied more now than ever through um, spiritual means of productivity. And like that for me, I, I don't feel like we need to be doing more you know (laughs) (laughs) I know again it's it's like taking away it's um how can we do less how can we have more ease how can we have more you know just being present just having this heart-centered you know compassion for each other and like having 
you know, again, like I'm not anti-manifestation work. Like I know that's part of it, but also include everyone around you, you know, the entire, you know, the unity thing of like knowing what you are innately and knowing that we're all connected so intricately. Like, um, I do think that this actually speeds up manifestations when you include the benefit of all beings in your desire, you know, you're already whole, you all always were. And just, mm-hmm. you know, holding that space, whatever, you know, roller coaster of emotion you're going through, again, it it's all perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um I think that, you know, in closing, what I would say in the process of like integration is to know that it is vast um, and that it is a process of welcoming. Mm -hmm. I I gravitate to the words welcoming more than retrieval because Mm -hmm. I want to bring forward attentiveness as recognition rather than doing mm-hmm. um yeah I feel like that would be something that I wish <laughs> that I would have heard um mm-hmm. and I also think that the practice um that Tara Brock has the rain practice which mm-hmm. is recognize what is going on allow the experience to be there just as it is investigate with interest and care nurture with self-compassion i think that can be a beautiful thing to yeah i love her her just she's amazing and she i she was actually one of the ones i started doing yoga nidra with so i thought it was funny you brought her up too because I, i i think that that's thing it's like this understanding that it's not it is vast it's huge and it's your life experience this it's not linear and I say this all the time it's a spiral you're going to be coming back to your experiences again like over and over just from a different angle and like having that idea of integration is just you know, for me anyway, it's been very much closer to the truth than this idea of linear destination, goal-oriented. Yeah, it's just allowing the experience to unfold as it will and being with it. So we invite you to find ways of being instead of doing as you explore and rediscover what integration means to you, the forms that it expresses itself, and to perhaps even consider resting in unknowing, allowing what is already in existence to make itself.